pastor asked me about teaching this Wednesday <clears throat> about spiritual disciplines and, um, and so forth, I, I began to think about what would be something that I would want to know about. Something that would help me in my day-to-day walk. So today, we're going to continue our, our lessons of spiritual discipline. I want to talk about growth. About growth. As I said, we've been going through spiritual disciplines for several weeks now with Pastor. And if you've not had an opportunity or you were not able to be here for those Wednesday nights, I mean, you need to go back and watch the podcast. They were phenomenal. Great, great word that Pastor gave us just about teaching and about being disciplined in our spiritual lives. Now, understanding those lessons that we need spiritual discipline in our lives in order to grow, not only in the church, but in the kingdom of God, we must have discipline in our spiritual lives. When we have discipline in our lives, not only can it be challenging at times, how many of you have ever said, you know what, you've got that unction on a Sunday night, the Holy Ghost is moving, you said, I'm going to start praying at 4.30 in the morning every, every day. <laughs> I have, and I'm super tired from Sunday, and Monday I may get up at 4.30, and man, I'm fired up, and I'm laying there, and I got my head on the bed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. If you ever have trouble falling asleep, just start praying. (laughs) And then you said, you know what? I'm going to do better. And so we, 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 we get emotionally connected to the things of God, but it takes discipline to continue our growth to get closer to God. And it can be challenging at times, even a struggle in those early morning hours, but discipline is a necessity for us to grow spiritually. Because from the time we are born again, born again until this very moment, right now there has to be A change in what and how we consume the things of God. And that comes through being spiritually disciplined. First Peter 2 and 2, the King James Version, it says, And as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If I was to ask some to testify today, I would, you would probably many stand and thank God for your salvation because there's nothing greater than when we are born again. The joy, the burden, the weight that was lifted off of the shoulders as that we didn't even know we were there. At 15, when I went down, and many of you can, can attest to this, you don't realize what you're carrying when you step into the water. And when you go down in Jesus' name and they pull you back up, the weight that is off that you didn't even know that was there. It's amazing that there's no magic formula. There's not a dust that we sprinkle in the water, but it's through the power of the name of Jesus Christ that all of your sins are remitted, that the burden is taken with it. There's nothing greater that I will ever do in my life than making that decision to be born again. It gave me a new outlook on life through the eyes of the Spirit as you have as well. However, with this exciting and brand new life comes a time where we must grow. We cannot stay in the water of baptism. We cannot just simply stay at that place of repentance or where we receive the baptism of his spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. 
We have to grow. We have to maintain where we are and take advanced steps in the spirit to get closer to God and grow the kingdom of God. Just as a new baby is expected to grow and achieve new levels and accomplishments, we should evaluate our lives to make sure that we are disciplined on a daily basis and that we have disciplines in place that will help us to grow spiritually. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2 in the NLT version. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to a mature Christian. I had to as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food because you couldn't handle anything stronger and you still aren't ready. That's pretty strong words. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are what's called the synoptic gospels. They all come together for the same reasoning to point to Jesus Christ. Acts is where the book, uh, the book of Acts is where the church was born. It is the book of the Bible that does not have an amen at the end of it because the book of Acts church is still continuing in 2019. But when you get to Romans, those are letters that are written to the church. Paul started off writing to the church at Rome and here to the church at Corinth. So imagine you're a brand new baby in Christ and Paul tells you, you're not where I want you to be. I can't talk to you as a mature Christian because you've not gotten to the place where I can speak into your life in such a way. I have to talk to you as you are or as you were. So Paul is concerned for the Corinthians, for their weakness and their non-proficiency. Those who are sanctified are so only in part. There's still room for growth and increase, both in grace and knowledge. I've learned this after 25 years of being in this church and full of the Spirit, that I'm not done learning. That I'm not done growing. That I've not achieved the pinnacle of my spiritual walk where I can stop evaluating myself. Stop looking at the man in the mirror and saying, you need to change or you need to be better. You need to stop doing this and start doing that. We can never stop evaluating our personal lives. As long as we are continuing to look at ourselves, God will allow us to grow in his kingdom. They had the, the, the Corinthian church, they had received some of the principles of Christianity, but had not grown up to maturity of understanding in them or of faith and holiness. They understood the basics of what it meant to be in the church and a part of the church, but they did not have a full understanding of what God wanted them to do. So it became a reproach to the Corinthians that they had so long sat under the ministry of Paul and had made no more improvement in their walk with God. As I travel and I go home and I see people uh, as I preach out and they, they tell me, they say, Brother Barber, I can see such growth in you. And Brother, Brother Jeff, I, I can't see it. I don't see it. But they see it. Even my wife sometimes with answers that I give, they, she goes, that's what pastor would say. Because I listen. Pastor told me when I first came, he said, there's two ways to learn. Some things are caught and some things are taught. Sometimes it's not going to be said from the pulpit. Sometimes that no one's going to tell you exactly what you should and should not do. You have to watch and observe. That's a good place to say amen. Making me nervous. Sometimes you, you gain knowledge by just being observing of what other people that you want to obtain to what seemingly is their spiritual level. 
If you want to be to that level, you have to be willing to sacrifice to that level. If there's one thing I've learned a long time ago was this, to take my walk with God one day at a time, one step at a time, one prayer at a time, one service at a time. That when I get into trouble, I get into trouble when I try to take on more than I'm spiritually able to handle. But as long as I'm continuing to strive to grow through prayer, through fasting, through the word of God, God will give me a little bit more that I can consume and to handle. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, the New Living Translation reads this way. You have been Christians a long time now and you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things as a beginner must learn about the scriptures. You're like babies who drink only milk and cannot eat solid food. And a person who is living on milk isn't very far along in their Christian life and doesn't know much about doing what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature and who have trained themselves to recognize the difference between right and wrong and then do what is right. That's the key. It's not enough to just know what's right and wrong. The key to success in the kingdom of God is to do the right thing. If you do the right thing, even when it's, when everybody else says it's wrong, you'll always be in the right way. You can never go wrong by doing the right. Somebody say amen. The word mature comes from the same root word as the word ripe. It indicates that something has been completed or fully developed. In the scripture, it's the same word Jesus used when he cried on the cross, it is finished. Now, I, I, I know that's a sermon for Easter, but it, that, that'll preach right there. That when we have reached a place of maturity, that means that we've completed to a place where now I can be preached to a little bit stronger. I can be taught a little bit stronger. I can handle a little bit more that God wants to give me because I've reached a place in my walk with God that God deems mature. Meaning, it is finished. What I was is no longer who I am. Let me, I feel to say this right now, who you were before you were born again. The enemy wants to tell you that you're that same old person, but you're not. You've been changed and transformed by the renewing of your mind through the power of the Spirit of God. I remember when I got the Holy Ghost, it bothered me something fierce because soon as I got the Holy Ghost, I was living on cloud nine and something spoke in my ear and said, you didn't really get it. That was just you. And I went home discouraged knowing that I had got something, but it kept telling me it wasn't real. That was just you. You were caught up in the moment. I'd come back Sunday and the Holy Ghost would flow over me again and that little voice. And I finally went to my pastor and I said, Pastor Bird, I don't get it. I'm speaking in tongues and I feel good. But as soon as I leave, this little voice is telling me that it's not real. That is, that it's me. I'm making it up. I'm, I'm hearing what everybody else is doing. He goes, that's all right. That's perfect. And I looked at him probably with this. I'm a man of expressions. My wife tells me all the time, you got to watch your face. And I said, what do you mean? She said, sometimes you look really angry. You look really just so watch your face. And I said, well, I'll try, but that I married you. Watch it for me. So I get these looks of raised eyebrows and, and then I, 
He goes, perfect. So I gave him one of them looks like I didn't know what he was talking about. He said, the devil only bothers you when he knows he doesn't have you anymore. And I understand this is what would be a simplistic Bible study, but I think it's very necessary for many here tonight that we understand the enemy does not bother those who he already has. I never got bothered until I got in the church. I never struggled with things until I got in the church. It's when I became born again that the enemy didn't have his claws in me and I wasn't going to become an alcoholic and a drug addict and a woman abuser and a a domestic lifestyle. I wasn't going to be those things anymore. He was trying to pull me back with doubt and fear. And with that said, let me say this. If fear or doubt are overcoming you, let it be known that if God before you, there's nothing can stand against you. You are a child of God. And when the enemy whispers in your ear, the Bible says God's going to come in like a flood. He's going to raise up a standard. Because as long as you're growing, the devil's not going to let you grow easily. He's going to create weeds to come into your garden. He's going to create little things that come in and try to take away the birth and the new life that God gives you Sunday after Sunday. I'm trying to teach I'm treaching. That's what I call it. (laughs) What it meant when it said it is finished, it means that the cross, his death, it was the peak or had reached the place of maturity that every one of us should strive for. That we must heed the words found in the gospel of Luke. We must always make sure we are in observation of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You cannot grow without the Spirit inside of you because the Spirit is what allows you to bear fruit. I used to pray for the fruit of the, for the gifts of the Spirit. Say, God, use me. I want to, I want to give tongues and interpretation. I want to, I want to have the gift of knowledge and wisdom and all these various gifts that the Bible talks about. But I learned a long time ago that it's more important to have the fruit of the Spirit than the gift of the Spirit. And I can't have the fruit of the Spirit if I don't have the Spirit of God in my life. Luke 9 and 23 reads this way. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Spiritual discipline comes when we crucify our flesh every day and follow him. I remember a message. In fact, Brother Shock preached it. I'm not sure if it was here or some other place, but he preached every time your feet touch the floor, you ought to stand to your feet and, and say, you're a great big God and you can handle everything. It's not about me, but it's about you. And I make it a point. I have to whisper because I start very early in the morning. I have to say, you're a great big God. You can take care of anything that comes in my way today. I deny myself, Lord, whatever comes my way, whatever cross comes that I have to bear today, I'm going to follow you to the other ends of the earth. So here's what we know about spiritual maturity. Number one, it is not automatic. Just because, just because you get in the church and are born again does not mean you're automatically mature. John 8 and 31. You are truly my disciples if you keep obeying my teachings. In other words, if you continue to obey the word, you become my disciple. 
Second Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians 6, 17, 17, 7 through 1. Therefore, come out from among them and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Because we have these promises and dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Let us work toward complete purity because we fear God. Paul's telling the church at Corinth, you're coming out from a lifestyle that you were born into. And it's a hard transition. David said, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Many people would like to use this scripture as a holiness, as an outward appearance. But I believe that it's a mindset. Because I've known and you have seen many people that looked apart but don't have the mind of Christ. The most important thing you can do is not necessarily worry about the outside, but you worry about the inside. Let this mind be in you as it was in Christ Jesus. Because if I can, if I can deal with it in my mind and I can take care of it in my mind, which is my heart, everything else will fall into place. So when I come out from the world, I have to come out from the mindset of the world. What is that mindset? That mindset is I'm going to get them before they get me. I'm going to take care of them before they take care of me. I'm not going to let them offend me. I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to hold grudges and bitterness and all these things that we did in our flesh. But we got to change our mindset. And the most important thing and way we can do that is we have to get into the Word. The Word is the only thing that is forever settled that will keep us. Worship is great and grand and and music is phenomenal. But it is the Word that establishes me in my life and connects me to God and connects me to the church. It is the foundation of all that we are and all that we hope to be. It does what praise cannot. It does what fellowship cannot. The word opens my understanding to what is required of me to grow in God. So we have to understand that growing and becoming mature spiritually does not just happen because I come to church. It takes some effort on my part and work on my part. I must be willing to step away from the things that once kept me away from God and push myself towards the things that will keep me close to God. Number two, it is a process. Proverbs 8 and 5, one version says, learn to be mature. Second Peter 3 and 18, King James Version But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we have to learn how to be mature, but we have to grow in grace and in knowledge. We have to understand that not everybody's going to grow at the same pace and the same rate that you do. When I got into the church, no one told me anything. I didn't have a discipleship class. I didn't didn't have a, a, a time where I sat down and said, okay, this is what is required now. I, the Holy Ghost taught me. The Holy Ghost showed me truth as I studied the Word. And I, I got into Bible quizzing and the Word began to come alive in my life. And it lit my path and it guided my ways. I believe that the Word still works. 
And that if we will dive into the word, if we'll get into the word, it will tell us how and what and when and why we're supposed to live the way we live. I remember when I got the Holy Ghost, I was so excited. I didn't know what I got, but I know I got something. I had no idea what speaking in tongues was. I had no idea what it was. And I remember when I got it, I went home to my mom and I'd heard them preach about repentance and I heard them preach about all kinds of things. And I began to tell my mom, you better repent. (laughs) You better straighten up or. Yeah, I wasn't very mature. I had to grow and I had to learn to be mature. I had to learn. I'm still learning. When do I engage the word into a friend that I've met? When do I put the word into conversation? It's not that I'm withholding it, but I'm trying to build a friendship. Because people don't really want to know how much you know until they know how much you care. So if I can invest in the person, they'll invest in what I know. They'll invest in the God of my life. So I have to learning to be mature, but I have to do it by growing in grace and knowledge. It was once said, our progress, the realization of our dreams, and the quality of our life depend directly on the level of our commitment to the process. How many want to be out of debt? Say amen. How many know it's a process? How many know you're going to wake up in the morning and that mortgage payment still may come in the mail? That car payment's still going to be there. But if you commit to the process of paying it off, every little bit you get, throwing it to a debt, eventually you're going to wake up one morning and that mortgage won't be there. That car payment won't be there. But it takes commitment. If you've been through Terry Broadstreet and, the new, and what we've done here through Financial Peace University, you'll learn to love rice and beans if you want to be committed to being out of debt. I like Mexican food. I like rice and beans, but it's hard when Sunday afternoon, everybody else is going out to eat and I'm going to go home and possibly eat a peanut butter mayonnaise sandwich. Y'all don't even know what heaven's about. (laughs) I'm from the South. We're a little different. I don't know why it just dawned on me. Somebody tells me all the time, every time I teach food comes up. It's because I love to do two things, worship and eat. And I probably do a lot of both of them. I I love that I have an Apple watch and I don't use the fitness app on it. (laughs) Except except when I wear it during church and we have a shout down service and I'm shouting. And all of a sudden my my watch keeps vibrating. I look down and it goes, ah, it looks like you're working out. No, what is wrong with this thing? This thing is malfunctioning. I don't work out. I tease my wife, the only time I'm ever going to run is when they say the food's ready. I'm just kidding. I have to care about myself. I've started, but it's a process. I wish, oh my goodness, I wish I could say in Jesus' name, I cast out, as Pastor Shock talked about, uh, I cast out every fat and cholesterol out of this food. I wish I could do that. Lay down, put a, I, <laughs> mm, mm. I remember a, a televangelist years ago. I saw it. My grandmother would sit on her chair as she peered out the window. She knew everything about everybody else because she looked out her window 
And if I would change the channel on the TV, don't you turn my stories. I'm like, you're not even watching it. You're watching the neighbor. Yeah, but I'm listening to it. And televangelist would come on and he would say, if you'll buy these miracle pajamas right now for $19.99. Man, he had me hooked. I wish they'd make some for weight loss. Because I don't want to be, I want the end result, but I don't want the commitment part of it. It's the same thing with my spiritual life. I want to see and have the anointing and the power that Pastor and, and Brother Shock and other great men and women that are here today have. But I'm not willing at times to do the committed part to it. Because we see the, the spiritual part behind the pulpit and the microphone and the anointing that falls. But we don't know the days that have gone on without food through fasting and the hours of study and prayer. we got to get to a place, if we are to, going to grow and become spiritually mature, that we understand that it is a process. And when the process is complete, we're going to look and say, thank God I went through, that I was committed to the process. Knowing that it is a process and it will take time means there has to be commitment to discipline and taking those steps necessary in our walk with God. Number three, it takes discipline. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and 7 in the Philip's New Testament version. Take the time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. One, another version says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Maturing believers become disciples. We've heard it preached and taught from this pulpit. Disciples make disciples. Friends make friends. See, I can't be a, dis- I can't be a disciple without being disciplined. Physical fitness is not automatic, as I just spoke about. Neither is spiritual fitness. Both take hard work. Luke 14 and 27. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So the true mark of a disciple is bearing my cross, which means denying my own desires in order to put God first in my everyday life. We have to understand that it's not about me. It's not about my desires any longer. It's about what is God's will for my life. What does God want out of my life? If I'm disciplined, what will God show me in my life? Luke 9 and 23 if anyone come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me growing old without growing up is a tragedy I'll say that again growing old without growing up is a tragedy it is natural that babies should desire only milk and we expect them to be limited in their ability and deficient in their maturity But if these things are still happening years later, there's a serious problem. And this applies in our physical and our spiritual life. If I've been in the church for 20 years and I'm still struggling on the same thing that I did when I first came in the church, then I have a spiritual fitness problem. There is a time in every one of our lives we must graduate from milk to meat. Solid food. It is at this stage that we become more than just believers. We take on the responsibility of becoming mature disciples. Anything that refuses to grow and change will eventually die. In fact, a clinical definition of death is a body that does not change. I've also often said this. You ever hear anybody, maybe it's a southern thing, I'm stuck in a rut. Anybody ever heard that? 
I've been told that a rut is nothing but an open-ended grave. Because you're going forward a little bit, but you're going back. You're going forward and you're coming back. I don't want to be stuck in a rut, a spiritual rut, where I'm dealing with the same issues over and over. I want to be more than just a believer. I want to be a disciple. Because if I'm not moving forward in my Christian life, then I'm backsliding. There are no options when it comes to discipleship. There must be discipline. So what does the Bible mean when it makes the comparison between milk and meat? In other words, what are the characteristics of mature Christians as taught in the scriptures? There are two types of ways that we can decipher how disciplined we are. That is to understand what is milk and what is meat. Number one, milk is given to the child by the mother. That's the church. Milk is when all of your strength, your peace, your power, your boldness, and the list could go on and on, happens when you're at church. That's milk. Milk is when you can only get what you need when someone is standing in front of you giving you something. That's milk. Meat is something that is hunted and prepared by oneself. So meat is something... Is the very thing that you go home and you dig out of the word of God. A word sparks in your spirit and you go home and you begin to study it out. That's the difference between milk and meat. Milk is what the church gives you. Meat is what you go and you dig out and find for yourself. Milk is a comfort food. In other words, milk is when it's all about me. Every time there's prayer, it's all about me. I have needs. The prayer needs to be, I want people praying for me. You know, when a baby is crying, it is generally only a couple of things that it needs. They either need changing, they're not feeling well, and they're really crying, especially when they're hungry. All the babies that have <coughs> came to new life, been in new life lately, all the moms and the dads having new babies, I'm so excited for you. But I am, it makes me excited to see them when they're dressed up in those little bitty knicker outfits. I fought my wife for years on those. Finally, I gave up the ghost and said, fine, let him wear them. Smart man in marriage. And I see those babies, but I don't hold a whole lot of babies. That's just a thing. I just don't. I get nervous. Especially if, they're, if I drop my own, then I can recover from that. <laughs> somewhat <laughs> but as soon as that baby starts crying oh no 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 he go I don't know what he needs he may need changing not doing that he may need feeding I can't help there babies let you know what they need by their cry because it's all about them so milk is a comfort food. Meat is what gives you energy and strength. It is an attitude that says, what can I do to help? What can I do around the church? I know that there's plenty of places to, to minister and become part of a ministry in this church. When you become a mature Christian, you don't come to church and make it all about you. You come to church and say, what can I do to help facilitate what we're trying to do as a body of believers in our community? That is a mature Christian. That's when you know you're now on the meat. Number three, milk is a pre digested food it's just as Moses was to Aaron God spoke to Moses Moses had to relay it to Aaron 
Exodus 4, 15. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. Thou shalt be to him instead of God. So milk is predigested. It's when God gives somebody else something in order for you to be able to consume it and digest it. Aaron only knew what God was saying by the way of Moses. The sincere milk of the word is when we can only get direction or a word of God, from God from this pulpit. To be disciplined in our walk with God, we can take on the meat of his word because meat must be digested. Therefore, it takes work on my part. I love a good steak. I love steak. My daughter loves steak. We go and we eat uh, at a, a place where you, you know, uh, Longhorn or Roadhouse or wherever it may be. And my daughter orders steak and now she's graduated from, the, I can't get her the kid's steak anymore because she'll eat the kid's steak and part of my steak. So I've learned that I get a bigger steak and make it look like she's getting more. I'm a bad parent, I know. But I like steak. But I, you know, I can take mashed potatoes and stick those in and they'll go down pretty easy. But you get a good old sirloin or you get a ribeye or T-bone or filet mignon. And it may melt in your mouth, but you still have to chew it. It takes some work to get it down. So in order to be mature, we have to understand that when God speaks to us, we're going to have to work at the word that God has given us. Milk is the truth of what Jesus did. It is our salvation. Gospels, it's the gospels, it's the book of Acts. Just because we're able to start eating the meat of God's word does not mean that we throw out the the milk. We don't forget the former things just because we've elevated to the, the oneness of God and, and the, the, what all he was in the Old Testament, Jehovah, Jireh, and all of those, just because we elevate to that, we don't forget about the salvation that God has given us. We, we never forget the milk, we just mature to the meat. It's the milk that helps us to be victorious. For Revelation 12 and 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. That's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That's the milk. But when you get the meat, you get the truth of what Jesus is doing now. That's sanctification. The milk is salvation. The meat is the sanctification. This is the continuation of us being set apart from the world. Number five, with milk, nothing has to die to produce it. Milk, eggs, and bacon are what's for breakfast. The cow gave the milk but was able to produce more. The chicken gave an egg, but she had countless eggs to give. Now, as far as the pig goes, he was fully committed. He just didn't give a little. He had the, he didn't have the ability to produce more. He had to be completely committed to the cause of breakfast. That's a bad joke, isn't it? That's a terrible joke. Being disciplined, not only enough to consume milk, is the mindset of giving or doing some, but not being all the way in. A milk mentality says, I'm going to come to church, but I'm not going to be involved. I'm going to come to church, but I'm not going to clap, or I'm not going to say amen. 
Even if pastor's not preaching to me, what I would deem as not preaching to me, I'm still going to say amen. Because it's the word of God. Because I've come to a mature level in my walk with God to know that the anointing is like, this is a very simplistic analogy, but it's like what I do with my little miniature schnauzer. If I say, Gunter, go get your toy. He'll look at me. He'll run. He'll grab his squeaky, his squeaky toy. He'll bring it to me. He won't give it to me. I have to wrestle it away from him. And I throw it. And if I throw it and he wants to really play, he'll go get it and he'll bring it back to me. And I grab it and I throw it again. And I'll keep throwing it as long as he continues to give it back to me. It's the same thing with preaching. If somebody is preaching and the word is going forth and it's good, you ought to say amen. That means you want more preaching. And then the, eleva- the anointing becomes elevated in such a place that yokes are destroyed and chains are broken and lives are changed. Your amen has the greatest effect in the service because it lets the preacher know that he's on the target with God and it lets God know that you're inter- interested and invested in what's being said. So we must become to a place of maturity where we say amen, even if it's not pointed at me. Being disciplined only enough to consume milk has to be not about me anymore. Because in order to consume meat, something has to die. If I'm going to consume and, and grow more in the kingdom of God, part, you know, when I repented the first time, I thought I gave it all. I thought, woo, I have arrived. I am no more a sinner. But I learned real quickly that I got a lot of things to work on. And in order for me to grow in my life, I have to die to those things. That way I can mature to the meat of God's word. Luke 9 and 23. We've read that. I don't know. It must have been. I'm sorry. A lot of times I use an iPad. I, I copy and paste scriptures from this. So... I'm sorry, that's on my paper, not on yours. That's a good thing. I shouldn't have mentioned that. (laughs) Preaching 101, never tell your mistakes. But if we are to come after Christ, we must deny ourselves and follow Him. The real mark of someone carnal or fleshly or worldly is that they will not permit their old man to die. I want my old nature to die so that I can grow in the church I can grow in my spirit. I want to be disciplined enough in my walk with God that God can trust me with spiritual things. Because I'm not trying to, we're not trying tonight to earn anything from God by being disciplined. This is a major point of contention and a matter of confusion in the modern world of Christianity. That every time we say work out your salvation, someone hears it as work for your salvation. But they're two different things. The problem is that we're attempting to contrast grace with effort. Now hear me. We say, I live under grace so I don't need to make an effort. Whatever I do, God's going to forgive me. If I fall, God will forgive me. If I offend a brother, they got to forgive me seven times 70. We, we try to operate under grace instead of effort. So I don't need to make an effort, God, because I'm under grace. And all the lifestyle stuff is just simple legalism. Some believe that grace is there to grant us forgiveness when we mess up because after all, I am a sinner saved by grace. But grace and effort are not opposites. Grace and earning 
are opposites. Working for your salvation is heresy, but working out your salvation is basic Christianity. I have to work some kinks out. I have to work some things out. You know, I love to iron. I know. I get a lot of times I get my shirts dry clean, but I love to iron because I'm OCD about it. I've Googled best ways to iron. I've learned because I'm trying to budget instead of paying for my shirts. I've learned. I'm going to give you a little tip. If you'll wash your shirts on a gentle and you'll hang them up and right before they get completely dry, you iron them while they're still somewhat wet. It's just like you took them to the cleaners. You can pay me for that tip afterwards. I'll put a little tip jar. I'm your dry cleaner barista. <laughs> but I love to iron. It's a challenge to me. There's a, uh, I'm trying to teach my son. This is where I struggle as a dad because I want him to already know. And this is where God's teaching me in the spirit. I want him to already know what to do. This is a shirt. Can't you see how to iron it? I'm not really this way with him, but... There's a certain pattern that you iron. I don't let my wife iron anything of mine. My wife's way of ironing is, that's good. (laughs) Now, I used to iron when I was a kid, when I was broke, busted, and disgusted. If you're in a hurry, this will work too. I know I'm teaching Bible study. It's supposed to be spiritual things. But if you'll take a, a washcloth that's somewhat damp and throw it in the dryer, it'll iron your clothes out. It won't get it pristine, but it'll take the wrinkles out. But most of us don't mind the wet washcloth in the dryer spiritual life. I've got most of the wrinkles out, but I'm still... Mm. God wants us to get to a place where we see wrinkles and we're willing to work at it. I've ironed shirts two or three times because there's a wrinkle on the back. And I hardly ever take my coat off. Nobody ever sees it, Brother Shock. But I know it's there. No one will hardly ever see your true self except you. That ought to be more of an incentive for us to work on me more than anything. So I have to work out my salvation. There are several New Testament scriptures that tell us that God has already given us all things. And we must therefore make an effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Romans 14 and 19. Let us therefore follow peace after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. That's making an effort to do that. You have to make an effort to have peace and mutual edification. Even if somebody don't sing the right note, you ought to go to them and tell them, man, that's the best I've ever heard that song. Even if they don't do the best, we have to edify one another. That's making an effort. Because when I learn that it's not just about my ability and my talent and I can build somebody else up, I'm making an effort to be mature and have growth by being disciplined in my life. Luke 13 and 24, the Bible says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. We have to make an effort to enter through the narrow door. I remember one time we went to Mammoth Caves. We took our youth group. This was years ago, many pounds ago. Oh, Jesus. I just had a mind's eye flashback. You ever do that? We were going into Mammoth Caves. And if you know me at all, I'm very claustrophobic. When I, 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 I take care of the hospital for my job, Union Hospital and Regional Hospital, thank the good Lord I don't have to go in an elevator in regional because 
Some of those look pretty sketchy. Union Hospital, I have to go up in the professional building. I have to go to the top floor. And I know the Bible says, you know, peace is with you. And, but sometimes I feel like the Lord ain't with me because he wants to laugh at me. And I stand there at the elevator and I know that I have to go to that fifth floor. And I'll stand on my iPad and check email until somebody comes and gets on that elevator with me. Because it's one of them slow elevators. It dings and the door doesn't open for literally 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> so if, no, if I wait long enough and no one ever shows up, I'm like, Lord, it's me and you. Jesus, take the wheel and don't leave me now. And I get on there and I try to keep my mind and my heart busy. Because my greatest fear is being stuck in an elevator. One of them, being claustrophobic. My kids love it. They'll get in the elevator and they'll just jump up and down. And I'm grabbing them for all they're worth. <laughs> but we went down to Mammoth Cave. And it, you go in, it's a great big room, a ginormous room. I'm like, oh man, this isn't bad. It's nice and cool. And a guide leads all about 25 of us there. And we're, we're walking through there. And as we're walking, they're shutting off the lights. I'm like, why are they shutting off the lights? And I asked the guy, I said, yo, 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 hey, bud. Woo, hey, what if we have to go back this way? You can't see your hand in front of your face. He goes, oh, that's okay. We'll make it out this way. We get to this place called Dwarfsman's Cave. The stalactites, the mosquito bites, whatever they were. They were talking. You had to hunch over and walk like this right here. Whoa, Jesus. And I was waiting from, I was being a good son-in-law. And I was waiting for my father-in-law. I was being the back of the pack. I wasn't letting them know I was nervous. I'm like, oh, you guys go ahead. I'll bring up the rear. I was being a mature Christian, strong and powerful. Until it came time for my father-in-law and mother-in-law. And they're not big people, but... Man, he went in there. And he's like, Tim, I'm not going to make it. I'm like, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> I said, not today. <laughs> we're, going, we're going through. Because the guide had already taken the rest of the tour and they were gone. You could hear the echoes of the voice, but you could not see the light of this head. I said, we're going through. It took effort to get through this little space. There's going to come times in our lives where our life will narrow down. And we're going to have to make an effort to push through those tight spaces. Push through those uncertain times. Push through those unknown health issues and those unknown finances. We're going to have to push through the straight gate. It takes making an effort. Philippians 4 and 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We got to make an effort to make unity of the spirit. Because every one of us are different. We're not all the same. We don't think the same. We don't act the same. We don't look the same. We're all uniquely made. God ordained it. He orchestrated you to be a part of this church just like you are, but in a growing state. And with that said, there's going to be times where we may not, you may not see eye to eye or so forth. The Bible says we have to make an effort. We have to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. Because you may not know, we may not know everything that is going on behind the scenes that God is doing. God said you have to make an effort to keep the unity of the spirit 
for the bond of peace. Hebrews 12 and 14, follow peace with all men in holiness. Without no one shall see the Lord. We have to make an effort to live in peace and with all men in holiness. 2 Peter 3 and 14, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. I have to, I have to make an effort to be found spotless and blameless and to be at peace with God. I have to learn that I'm not going to make everybody happy all the time. That everybody's not going to be my friend at all times. I have to learn that, that I have to watch what I say. I have to watch what I wear. Watch how I look. Because I don't want to offend anybody and break that bond of unity that, that is in this assembly. I don't want to do anything that would cause a stumbling block to my brother. That's called growth. When I can realize that I've got to work on me for the sake of the body. Hebrews 4 and 11, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Now that's a unique concept. I have to work in order to enter his rest. I have to make an effort because I truly believe that if I will do my part, God will do his part. God said, I, I pray this for people all the time when they're going through stuff. I said, the Bible says that Jesus said, I will not send you whether I myself would not go or would not come. That tells me that whatever I go, whatever I do in my life, that God's going to show up at some point in time. God's going to be there. He's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. He said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. No matter what you're going through, if I can have enough maturity and enough growth in my life to say as long as I keep pressing toward the mark, God is going to show up eventually. As long as I take one step, God's going to take two. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 10. Here's one more. In the NIV version, it reads this way. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his great, his very great and precious promises. So that through them ye may participate in divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Then he says, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. Now think about that for a moment. If I will be spiritually mature enough to say I need to continue to grow, I need to add to my faith goodness and to my goodness knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and perseverance godliness and the godliness kindness and the kindness love. If I will continue to add to my life, it is a guarantee I will not fall. That's what the word says. So if we can get to a point in our spiritual walk 
That I don't, I need the milk because that's where I came from. But God, I want the meat through maturity, through discipline in my spiritual walk. I am promised by the word of God that if I will continue to add to my life and grow, that I will never fall. I close with this. Wilbur Reese had a book called $3 Worth of God. Said, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 of God, please. As you stand with me tonight, I'm closing. I think he hit the nail on the head when he said that. I want enough. I want to come to church enough where I feel the goosebumps, but it doesn't disturb what I'm doing. I don't lose sleep over it. I want just enough that it... It soothes my throat and calms my fears. I can even lay in the sunshine and continue living the way I'm living. I want the height and the ecstasy and the excitement of His Spirit, but I don't want to be transformed. I want the warmth of the womb. I want the love of the church. I want the embrace of the brothers and the sisters of the body of believers, but I don't want the new birth. I want a pound of eternal... Of the eternal in a paper sack. That way it's easy to tear and just let it go. I simply want just a little bit of God. I want so much of God that I want to be like the disciples, the apostles. When they walked by, the shadow cast on them and they were healed. I want to be like the disciples and the apostles in the Bible that that recognized they were ordinary men and ordinary women of the world. Yet they did great exploits for the kingdom of God because they worked on their personal lives. They made mistakes, yet they got back up. They didn't have the word. They didn't have where it says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. They didn't have, they didn't have the word of the New Testament like we did. They didn't have any of that. They simply had what Jesus had given them. And that was this. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and simply follow me. The quickest pathway to growth through spiritual discipline is following God, no matter what the cost may be. Would you help me pray? Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for every believer under the sound of my voice and those that are watching by way of the internet. I pray, God, that we would see ourselves in a new light, that we would... Have enough of your spirit that would charge us and challenge us to grow into a deeper relationship. I just don't want the milk, God. I don't want to be fed. I don't want to hear you through other men and women only. But God, I want to hear from you myself. I want to consume your word for myself. I want to grow spiritually, God. I I don't want to do what I've always done because I always will get what I've always got. I want to grow. I want to see miracle signs and wonders lord and i know that comes through the transformation of my life and myself so i ask god that you forgive me and cleanse us god purge us from who we are and help us to be who you want us to be in the name of jesus christ and let the church say amen amen